Thank you, Francis. Wasn't that beautiful? Thank you so much. God is still God, isn't he? And all is well. Amen. Thank you. That's beautiful, beautiful. It's good to be back with you. I know some of you have been praying for Karen and, uh, and me, and we are so thankful for that. We are feeling better, not completely over everything, but feeling much better. Uh, I, got, I haven't been since Easter Sunday. I got sick Easter Sunday evening with a stomach virus, and then two days later, Karen and I both got COVID again for the fourth time. And uh, so we've been uh, pretty sick during that time. So I haven't really addressed the congregation since Easter. So I want to say something about that and about Pastor Nick's preaching. Since he's been with us, he's preached seven weeks, you know, a four-week series, and then a week leading to Easter, and then the great Easter message. And then he preached when I was supposed to preach the next week after I got sick. And then Dr. Miller, who always does a tremendous job, the next week... But I just want to say about Pastor Nick that he has done a tremendous job preaching. And uh, yeah, amen. And, uh, and behind the scenes, he's done a tremendous job as well, what you don't see. He's made visits with me, he's made visits for me and so forth, and he's just doing a tremendous job. Do you know on Easter Sunday, and... Uh, Nick had in, encouraged us all to invite people and so forth, and you did, and you did a great job, and we had over 700 people here for Easter. It was the second highest attendance in the history of our church. Uh, yeah, praise the Lord. And then even better than that, <laughs> when, uh, when Nick gave the invitation on Sunday morning, both, it was two services, you know, for Easter, uh, the first service, three people raised their hand that they had asked Christ to come into their heart and life and be their Savior. Three. In the second service, there was 12 who raised their hand saying they had received Christ. That's 15 altogether. Now, a couple of those may have been for assurance and a couple of them may have been for rededication and so forth, but uh, that's 15 professions of faith. And uh, God is good, isn't he? Heaven was rejoicing in the presence of angels that day. And uh, we rejoice and praise the Lord for his goodness. Well, I'm starting a new series today, which was supposed to have started two weeks ago. And uh, on great passages of the epistles. Now, the word epistle just means letter. Uh, Men, New Testament men, wrote letters inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they became books in our Bible. So these are great passages in those particular books of the Bible, the epistles. And uh, I'm calling them great. They're all great. Uh, I maybe should have said my favorites, because these are some of my favorites I'm wanting to preach on in the next few weeks and months, maybe. So, uh, great passages of the epistles. Now, we're going to start today in 1 Thessalonians and chapter 1, you see there. And uh, if you would, open your Bibles with me there. Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. And uh, he writes to them. Let's, let's pick it up. Well, let's go back to verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in... Uh, Macedonia, but Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. That is, Paul doesn't have to tell about this church being a great church because their testimony has gone out uh, in communities around them and cities and whole areas around them. And uh, for they, that's the people in the area, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye, that's the people there, the congregation, and ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Here's a church in a pagan world that turned from idols to serve the true and living God. And then it says, and to wait for his son... From heaven. The word wait there means to wait with anticipation, to look forward to. 
and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Aren't you glad you've been delivered from the wrath to come? Because wrath is coming. God's wrath and judgment is coming. But those of us who have trusted Christ, he's delivered us from that wrath. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brandon Sutton grew up in a stable, loving home. A pretty typical home in the United States. His parents loved him, supplied his needs. He had some siblings. It was a normal, stable, loving home. When he was in middle school, one of his friends talked him into smoking marijuana. You know all the lies and excuses. You know, everybody does it. There's nothing to it, and, and you're going to love it. Uh, and on and on the temptation goes. And Brandon began to smoke marijuana in middle school. He said, in his own words, I was hooked. I enjoyed it. When he got to high school, that gateway of pot opened the door for alcohol and stronger drugs. And things just got worse and worse. While he was in high school, his mother was diagnosed with cancer, brain cancer. And uh, his drug use just got worse to try to, to, as he would put it, to try to help him forget what his mother was going through. The next five years, he said, would get worse and worse. He said that uh, his obsession next was cocaine. And that led to criminal activity in jail time, in and out of jail, even stealing from his dying mother. He said, you know, at this point, and I'm quoting, you know, it just wasn't fun anymore. I didn't want to be sober and I didn't want to be drunk. You know, I just didn't want to be. Life was miserable. I thought often about suicide. Suicide was an option, I thought, and going back to jail was an option. Uh, he also looked for rehab places where he felt like he could get some help. And along the way there, his grandmother asked him to come live with her. He tried to stay off the drugs temporarily because he didn't want to terrorize his grandmother. And while he had been off the drugs for a short time, his aunt invited him to church one Sunday. Now, earlier when he was in high school, his family all went to a Billy Graham crusade. And uh, when the invitation was given, his whole family went forward to receive Christ, everybody but Brandon. And they received Christ. Brandon said about that experience, he said, I wouldn't say I'm an atheist, I'm not. He said, I wouldn't even say I'm an unbeliever, because I believe what the Bible says. He said, I just didn't want all of that stuff controlling me in my life. You know, it's possible to, to believe the facts of the gospel. The fact is, the devils believe and tremble, James says. It's possible to believe the facts and have never come into a personal relationship with Christ himself. And so his parents had come to Christ, but Brandon had not. So at Five years later now, his aunt invites him to, to uh, church, and he goes. And he writes, and I'm quoting now, I was com it, it was completely different. I understood. It was like I was hearing it for the first time. 
he said it was different. But he, what the preacher was saying, he was talking about things I'd never heard or thought of. God desires a relationship with you. He desires to know you <clears throat> and for you to know Him, for you to experience Him, for you to seek Him and expect God to work in your life. That night, Brandon surrendered his heart and life to Christ and trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. He said, and I'm quoting again now, he said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. You know, please do for me what I cannot do for myself. Well, that's prayer the Lord hears, isn't it? Do for me what I cannot do for myself. He said, I felt so hopeful and optimistic and I felt like good things would happen and, and I had meaning and purpose. And, uh, and uh, now I had God... I had Christ in my life. Soon after his encounter with the Lord, he told his mother about it. And his mother was thrilled. Now, the, the story I read didn't tell this, but I imagine she had been praying for him, don't you? I mean, and uh, he told her he got saved. Just a couple of days later, she passed away from her struggle with cancer. I wonder if the Lord didn't let her live just long enough to hear that her boy got delivered from his addictions. So he was saved and, and, uh, and then he felt the Lord was calling him to preach. And this is Brandon today. My picture of Brandon's not there, gentlemen. Is that something I left out? Probably is. Probably something I left out. Anyway, he's a male and he's bald-headed. <laughs> Picture that in your mind. Uh, so, now it's been 16 years. And Brandon says, and I quote again, I've been sober now 16 years following the Lord and preaching His Word, and life just keeps getting better and better. Amen? God is still delivering people from their idols. He is still uh, delivering people from their sin and from their, uh, and from their addictions and from the wrath that is to come. Only the Lord Jesus can do that. These people that Paul is writing to were people who had been set free from all sorts of sin and idolatry. Now the Bible, you know, is a wonderful book written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different human authors. The Old Testament has 39 books, and it scans, tells the story from creation to the time of Christ. And that spans about 4,000 years, or 6,000, or 10,000, depending on the different views of different scholars. And then you have the New Testament that begins with the coming of Christ, and its, and its teaching scans all the way to the second coming of Christ and even eternity beyond. And so it covers uh, the 2,000 years that's already taken place, a thousand year of the millennial kingdom, and then even into eternity. It only took, the, the writing of the New Testament only took about 60 years. So, 1,500 years, 40 human authors but only one divine author. God himself writing this book. Inspired. God breathed as the scripture says. This is God's infallible, inerrant word of God. I have a quote here from a professor at Yale University from years ago. He was called, and I quote, Yale's most inspiring professor, William Phipps. And he used to say, 
I believe a knowledge of the Bible without a college education is more valuable than a college education without a Bible. Amen? This is God's book telling us how to live and how He loves us. So the Bible is divided into those two major groups, Old Testament, New Testament. Now I want to look at the New Testament and kind of zero in on where we're going in this study. So now we'll look back at our screen since I left Brother Brandon off. And this is the books of the New Testament. Uh, first we have history books. Uh, we have the Gospels. There's four of them and they, and they all tell the same story. The story of Christ himself. They cover all four of the Gospels, cover about uh, 33 years, the same 33 years. And uh, it tells the history of Christ here on earth. And then you have Acts, which is also a history book. It's a history of the New Testament church. And um, it, uh, it spans about 33 years as well, maybe a little more, maybe on up to 40 or so years uh, of the telling of the what happened in the New Testament church. Now, there are different ways in which to, uh, to divide the books of the New Testament, but these are the ways I think makes the most sense. So you've got history books, and then you've got the epistles, which I said earlier just means letters. These are letters that men wrote, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, so those letters themselves became a book in the Bible. So we have Paul's epistles. There's 13 of those. And then we have uh, eight general epistles. A general epistle is anything Paul didn't write. It's the, and the uh, human authors would be John and Peter and Jude and James. And, uh, and then you have one prophetic book, the book of Revelation. And all of those together make up then the 27 books of the New Testament. Now I want to think about where we're going we're zeroing in, as you can tell, and now we're going to look at Paul's epistles, Paul's letters. There's different ways to divide these as well, but this is the, the divisions I prefer. First, you have the journey epistles. These are epistles, letters Paul wrote while he was on his, one of his three missionary journeys. Galatians was written first. You can tell these are not in the order they're in in your Bible. They're in the order of the, of the chronological order of which they were written. And uh, Galatians was written first on Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, first and second Thessalonians was written on the second missionary journey. And by the way, I've got it uh, in bold there because that's where we are in our study. And then uh, first and second Corinthians and Romans was written on Paul's third missionary journey. The second division is the prison epistles. Paul was in a Roman prison. He actually, twice he was in a Roman prison. And uh, the first time he wrote these four books, so they're called the, the prison epistles. And then you have the pastoral epistles. Now the reason they're called that is because they were written, instead of to a church, they were written to individual pastors. They were written to Titus, one to Titus, and two were written to... Timothy. So Titus in 1 Timothy was written between Paul's two imprisonments in Rome. And then 2 Peter, I mean 2 Timothy was written while Paul was in his second imprisonment right before he was put to death for preaching the gospel. Now that gives you just a quick overview of the New Testament where we're going. Now we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. You might say where is the city of First Thessalonians? I'm glad you asked that. I just happen to have a map with me today. And uh, we're going to think about that together. Where is that city of Thessalonica? And is it still there today? And so forth. And where and when was the letters that we're going to look at written to the, uh, to the church at Thessalonica. So we start, well, I guess I could just get you oriented here. This side over here, of course, is the Holy Land. That's Israel. 
The big uh, blue part is the Mediterranean Sea. This part is Asia, the brown part. And the yellow part is uh, uh, Europe, Greece. So with that in mind, we start our journey that I want to take you on over here in Syria at a city called Antioch, Antioch of Syria. Now, this was not a small city. This was not a hamlet. This was not a village. This was a city with 200,000 people in it. Uh, and it was the capital of Syria. It was the first prominent uh, Gentile church. Paul did not found this church. Uh, it was founded by Christians who were in Jerusalem. Of course, the church was born on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and persecution came, and that persecution spread believers into the world, and some of them traveled 404 miles and made it up here to Antioch, and they shared the gospel, and the church was born there at Antioch. Later, Barnabas went and ministered there and then after that Peter came and Barnabas and Peter stayed a year at this church ministering to this church at Antioch and so it became the sending church it became the mission church again 200,000 how does that compare to Greensboro well Greensboro has 298,000 and Winston-Salem population 250,000 High Point population, 114,000. So this city was a little smaller than Winston-Salem and bigger than High Point. This was a big city and uh, a wonderful church. So the first missionary journey came out of there as well, but we're thinking about the second missionary journey. There was three, four if you count the, uh, uh, his trip under arrest when he was taken to Rome, and maybe even five if you count his travels between his two imprisonments. Just depends on how you look at it. But the book of Acts describes for us in detail three missionary journeys. And so they start here at Antioch. So they travel north and go to visit a few churches that they had established on the first missionary journey. Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. And there at Lystra, they picked up somebody. They picked up Timothy, Paul and Silas traveling together. And Timothy apparently had gotten saved on that first missionary journey, maybe uh, five, seven years prior. And now he's ready himself to go on this great mission trip with the great apostle Paul. And so they start their journey. Now, as the... By the way, all these details are given to us except the size of the cities. All these details are given to us in the book of Acts. It's a wonderful book, isn't it? It just gives you a lot of details when you get down and, and, uh, and look at it. So anyway, they travel now. They wanted to preach in Asia, but the Holy Spirit kept constraining them. And they ended up uh, across... Asia Minor there to a place called Troas. And uh, right above it, you, you might see it on the map. I, can't, I don't know if you can see that bigger. This one's bigger back here. Uh, right above it is, Tro, uh, is Troy, that famous city of Troy. Troas is just south of it. And there in, in Troas, Paul gets that Macedonian call. Remember, he has a vision. And... Uh, and there's a man saying, come, come to Macedonia. You know, we need help. And uh, he believed the Lord led them to go to Macedonia through that vision. And so they, they travel across the Aegean Sea. And they take the gospel to the continent of Europe for the very first time. This is exciting stuff. And so uh, they travel across the sea, as, as you see there. Oh, well, Luke, Luke, by the way, joins them there at Troas. Now they travel across the Aegean Sea to Neapolis. That's 125 miles. By the way, traveling by boat, by ship, a ship could take, in those days, could take you about 50, 60 miles in a day. Uh, and they usually stopped at night 
and you had to get off of the ship and, uh, and go buy yourself some food at a port somewhere and buy yourself a, a bed to sleep in because none of these ships were passion, passenger ships. They were all cargo ships. And so if you bought a passage, you had to sit on top of cargo, and the only thing the ship would furnish was drinking water. You had to furnish your own food, and you had to get off at night and sleep somewhere. So usually they would travel 50 to 60 miles, stop at a port, people would get off, and the next morning get back on if that wasn't their destination and so forth. Now, on foot, by foot, you could walk about 15 or 20 miles a day. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. From Antioch, across the uh, continent of Asia Minor, to Troas, that is 785 miles. The Apostle Paul walked 785 miles. Paul was not a sissy preacher, was he? I mean, he is a rugged individual and those with him as well. They probably had, maybe I'm telling more, I don't know if I'm losing my time or not, but anyway, um, there, there, were, there were places to stay inns on all the main Roman roads. Rome had been good to put up those inns after about a 20 mile, 15 or 20 mile walk, you can stay in an inn. But historians tell us that those inns were no notoriously filthy with bed bugs and so forth. And so a lot of people chose to stay in tents, carry their tents with them. Probably that's what Paul did. He was a tent maker by trade. And uh, so they probably had a donkey that carried their um, tents and cooking material and food and that kind of thing and supplies. Maybe each man on the, in the group had a donkey. We don't know. But uh, that would have been the normal way to travel. So they walked this 785 miles, now 125 miles across the Aegean Sea, and over into Philippi. Philippi was 12 miles from Neapolis. And so they preached the gospel there, and the church at Philippi was born, the first church on European soil. And it was a wonderful church. Now this city wasn't a real big city. This city only had about 10,000 people. It was a well-known city, but it was not a, a huge city. You may remember some of the things that happened. Uh, uh, Lydia got saved, and Paul and his group stayed in Lydia's home while they were there, and they preached in the synagogue. They preached here and there, and, uh, and people got saved, and a church was born, and then the apostle Paul cast a demon out of a slave girl who could tell fortunes. And uh, because the people who owned her would lose business, they caused a big uproar over that, and they threw Paul and Silas in jail. Remember that? And uh, they beat them, put them in jail, put their hands and feet in stocks, and then, of course, at midnight, they began to sing praises unto the Lord. Amen? Right in the midst of that affliction, they were singing praises unto the Lord. So when they got out, Paul... And his group left Philippi, and they left Luke there, though, to minister to that new church. How long were they there? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. I speculate two or three, four months, maybe something like that, but that's purely uh, my thoughts. And, uh, and then uh, Paul leaves Luke at Philippi, and then he travels through two big cities, and now he comes to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was another big city, one of the biggest in the Roman Empire. It was the capital of Macedonia, and it had about 200,000 people as well. So a little smaller than, than uh, Winston-Salem, a little bigger than uh, High Point. And uh, so this was a big city. This was an important city. And Paul and his team go there. They preach in the synagogue. They preach in the, in the marketplaces. They share the gospel. And many people get saved. The, the, the Bible uses the term a great multitude. Wow, I don't know how many that is. But a great multitude came to Christ. And uh, it was beautiful and wonderful. 
And uh, those are the people who did what, according to chapter 1? They turned from their idols to serve the true and living God. And so they, uh, they had great success there. How long they stayed? Well, again, we don't know. Months, several months, maybe. Half a year, we don't know. But, uh, and then trouble came again. The Jews that didn't believe... They were so angry at Paul's success that they got a criminal element in the city behind them and, and there was a mob uh, mentality and uh, they run them out of the city. Now, there's a mountain right here close to Thessalonica called, uh, well, the, Thessalon the Thessalonian church was born and, and on this second missionary journey. And then here's the mountain right there, Mount uh, Olympus. That was, the, that was the most important place in paganism. Uh, Zeus was supposed to live there. Actually, there was supposed to be 12 gods that lived in this mountain. And uh, so you see, less than 100 miles away is the center of paganism. So there was much, in all of these cities, there were great temples of idol worship. And much of the idol worship, or at least a part of it, had to do with immorality. There would be, there would be temple uh, prostitutes, both male and female. And people would engage in those prostitutes in what they considered worship of the gods. And all of this was taking place. So when Paul preached, they turned from their idols to serve the true and living God. Amen? Now, when they were cast out of Thessalonica, they went to a city called Berea, which is only 45 miles away. And they preached there. And those, again, this is a small city, about 50,000. Or not small, but smaller than these bigger ones. And, uh, and these people received the word of God wonderfully. And there was a great number of people who got saved there in a great church as well. Everything was going good. Again, we don't know how long, a couple of months, three months, six months maybe. And, uh, and then this Jews from Thessalonica, they traveled that, uh, that distance and to, because they heard Paul was doing the same thing in Berea and they run him out of Berea. And so Paul leaves. You look at the bottom of the picture there. Paul leaves Silas and Timothy in Berea. <clears throat> and then he travels 250 miles down the uh, Aegean Sea and around the end there to Athens. Now, Athens, he's there by himself. When he gets there, he sins for Silas and Timothy. Uh, how long would it take when you send? I don't know. You might send a, a messenger or you might send a, a letter, but they had to go right back and catch a, catch a ride on a ship and so forth. This was 250 miles, so, you know, five days if you go 50 miles in a day and stop every night and so forth. Maybe this is a five-day journey down to uh, Athens. Now, Athens was a famous, famous city, but it was not a large city. At that point, it was only about 10,000 people there, but it was famous for its intellectualism. It was, it was a university city. And uh, the, uh, the philosophers, uh, many lived there and would come there, I guess, for conferences and so forth to consult with each other. And this is where uh, Paul, after he preached in the common places... He actually preached on Mars Hill where, where the uh, philosophers were and they listened to him and the Bible says some of them believed and some of them mocked and made fun of him and some said we'll hear you again at a later time. And so here at this place he, he sends for, uh, for Timothy and Silas and then when they get there he sends them back out on, on missions. He sends Silas to uh, Philippi, and he sends uh, Timothy to Thessalonica. So you see them coming down, 
Then they go back up, and they walk those distances by foot and so forth. So this is, you know, uh, these mission trips were not over in six months or two years. I mean, these mission trips took uh, a long period of time. For instance, on this first missionary journey, he, Paul stays in Corinth, we're told, a year and a half, just in the one city. In the third missionary journey, Paul stays in Ephesians, Ephesus. He stays there three years just in the one city. So there's a lot of time involved in these travels. So now he's at Athens. His, uh, his friends have been sent back, so now he travels 50 miles to Corinth. Uh, and Corinth, and he travels by himself, Corinth now is uh, one of these big cities again, about 200,000 again. And so this is a huge city. They were known for commerce, uh, instead of intellectualism, but they also were known for immorality. Now, in a place, in a world where immorality was so open and rampant and so forth, to be called a city given to immorality would really be something. There was even a term when somebody lived a really immoral life, they would use the term, they're playing the Corinthian. Because that's the way the Corinthians were. And Paul preaches there. Now he preaches there for a year and a half, and a great church is born. And it's tremendous. Now, Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy come back. Remember, he sent Timothy to Thessalonica. Find out how the church was doing. It's been, what, several months, maybe six months or so, or a year since he was there and founded that church. And uh, he sent Timothy. Timothy comes back with a good report and says the church is doing great. They're a little confused over a few things. And it's there, after receiving that information from Timothy, that Paul writes the letter back to the uh, Thessalonians inspired by the Holy Spirit, two letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and those two letters became books in our Bible, books in the New Testament. That's how the books were written. So uh, here Paul writes the 1st and 2nd Thessalonians from Corinth. Now he also met Priscilla and Aquila there. They were tent makers. The Bible doesn't say he led them to the Lord. They might have been saved prior to that, but I kind of think probably Paul led them to the Lord. And they actually joined the, the group for it temporarily. So after the year and a half, they sailed over across the uh, sea, the Aegean Sea. They sailed over to Ephesus. And uh, this is when the Ephesian uh, church was born. And he did not stay there a long time, as it appears. They asked him to stay longer, but he said, no, he had, to, he had to get on. He wanted to make a certain feast in Jerusalem. And so when he came back on the third missionary journey, as I said earlier, he, he, uh, uh, he stayed three years. But he left there. At this new church, he left uh, Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers. They were doing their craft. And we hear later then that there was a church in their home. So they were a part of that church that was planted there in Ephesus. So then Paul traveled from Ephesus to Caesarea 500 miles. Now, so if we're talking about 50 miles, just to make the math easy, we're talking about 10 days maybe, maybe less than 10 days. Actually, a ship could go 100 miles in a day, but it took about 20 to 24 hours for it to go 100 miles. And so... Uh, if there were people on board, they would stop along the uh, islands and, uh, and, and try to just make the 50 and 60 mile tracks. So from, from there, Paul goes down to, uh, uh, it actually it says up to Jerusalem. When you go to Jerusalem, you go up. It doesn't matter whether it's north, south, east, or west because it's high. And uh, so they went up to Jerusalem for the feast, and then they walked another 404 miles up to uh, Antioch. And so however long that took, five, five years, probably more than three, three to five years, 
They're back at their home church, just like missionaries do today. Gone for several years, three years, four years, five years. They come back to their sending churches and give a report. They went back and gave a report and stayed there a while. And uh, that was his journey. Now, uh, when we think about all of his journeys, when you add up all the mileage <laughs> for his journeys... His, his total on, on this, well, let's first look at this, this journey here, second missionary journey, about 3,000 miles, 1,500 miles by foot. That's a remarkable thing, isn't it? When you put the three missionary journeys together, Paul walked a total in his lifetime preaching the gospel about 10,000 miles. That's, that's if you walk from New York to Los Angeles if you walk across the nation four times. That was his travel in his mission work by foot and then another 6,800, 7,000 or so miles by ship. Three times, Paul says, he was shipwrecked. I mean, these were not easy trips. These were not vacations. Let me just read to you. I didn't give this to the men, so they won't have it on the screen for you. But just listen for a minute at what Paul says about his trips. He says uh, that he, I am moved in labor. He says, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes save one. So he was flogged three times, 39 stripes each. Thrice or three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. They thought he was dead. Maybe he was dead. God raised him up. And he once was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In other words, in one of those shipwrecks, he was floating around in the ocean for all one day and all one night holding on to a piece of lumber or a piece of a ship or something like that. And, uh, and then he says, In journeys often, in perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of mine own countrymen, as, those, as you saw those Jews created so much problems as we just talked about, perils of the heathen, that is the Gentiles, the pagans, and uh, in the wilderness, in cities, perils, perils at sea, and then false brethren as well. How could Paul do that? Isn't that remarkable? How could he face all the difficulty and still keep going and doing the will of God? Paul gives us that answer in, uh, in Galatians 2.20. He says, Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. That's how we do it. That's how we keep going through the difficult times. That's when we keep going when it seems impossible because Christ lives in us. And we can live by faith, trusting him for the next step, for the next decision. And so... We have these great travels. And that was the introduction. I've got an hour message now. <laughs> Actually, I was going to read a few verses here and there, but I'm going to skip that for time's sake. But I want you to go back now with what's been said sometime today or sometime this week and read the whole book. It's only five chapters. Read the whole book and you'll see, you'll see that history incorporated into what he wrote. And every epistle has some kind of history similar to this. I mean, uh, the work of God in the world is a tremendous thing. It was then, it is now. People being called and delivered from their idols and set free. So turn over now to chapter 5, and I'm going to close with these verses, some of these verses right here. Chapter 5. In the weeks ahead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take 19 imperatives from this passage and look at them in the next. An imperative is like a command. It's a New Testament command to believers. We're going to look at those. But for right now, we're just going to read a couple of things and close. Look at verse 16. 
Paul says, this is the way I want you to live. You know, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor uh, Nick said to us that in Paul's epistles, most of the time, if not all of the time, Paul's epistles start out with a doctrinal statement. He talks mostly about doctrine, what God has done for us in the first half or first part. And then the second part is the practical side. This is the way we should live. So the logic goes like this. This is what God's done for us. Therefore, we should live this way. And he gives us the practical instruction. Well, here's the this way. Actually, it started in chapter 4 here, but, but this is the passage we're zeroing in on. Look at verse 16. Rejoice evermore. That means all the time, in every circumstance. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, and despise not prophesying. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. How can we live a Christian life and keep going in the midst of difficulties. This church had a lot of difficulties. That was the verses I, I didn't read to you. They have suffering and affliction and so forth. And Paul tells them to rejoice all the time. How can you do that? Because faithful is he who calls you. Who will do it? God calls us to a supernatural life. Jesus said in... In Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. <laughs> Pray for those that despitefully use you. That's not natural. Love your enemies. Do good to people who are treating you terribly. Ephesians 4 says we're to forgive each other like Christ forgave us. Yeah, but preacher, you don't know what, you don't know what they did to me. I can't forgive that. God says we're to forgive as Christ forgave us freely and fully. Not natural though, is it? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, love your husbands and respect them. All of these things he's calling us to do. See, in this context, it says, Faithful is he who calleth, who is calling you. Present tense. He's calling you. And he's calling you to what? He's calling you to love your enemies. He's calling you to rejoice evermore. He's calling you to forgive people. He's calling you to love your wife and love your husband and so forth. And when we do so, then the, the world sees our testimony like chapter 1 talked about. So what's our part? If, if the Lord's going to do it, what's our part? Well, our part is, to, is faith. Trust him. Trust him. I've preached too long this morning. I've got to cut. When we consider salvation, Jesus does the saving, doesn't he? He does the forgiving. He does the changing. He does the delivering us from our idols and from our sin. But what's our part? Faith. We just trust him. We just trust Him, and He does it. Sanctification is the same way. Living the Christian life is the same way. He has to do it. But we have a part, and that part is faith. Trusting, trusting Him. Galatians, Galatians or Colossians 2.6 says, As you have received Him, so walk ye in Him. How do you receive Him? By faith. So how do we walk in Him? By faith. Again, Paul said, Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul did it. That's the only way you and I can do it. He calls us to a supernatural life that only he can live. See, he didn't just forgive us, deliver us from the wrath to come, and give us a home in heaven, as glorious as that is, and it is glorious. But he didn't just do that. He saved us that he might indwell us 
And that he might work through us to touch other people's lives. To share his message and his love. And so, trust him. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if he's never delivered you from your sins and idols and addictions, you can trust him today. Or maybe you're a believer and you say, I just have so much trouble living the Christian life. Yeah, I know. We, we all do because it's beyond what we can do ourselves. Trust him. Trust him. Bow with me, please. Maybe you'd say, preacher, I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. I'm going through some difficult times. And I want to learn to trust the Lord in these difficult times. Or maybe you'd say, I'm a Christian, but I have trouble living the Christian life. I want you to pray for me that I will learn to trust Him to do it in me. If that's your prayer, would you slip your hand up this morning all over? Anyone? Yes, hands are up all over the building. Yes, God bless you. You may put them down. Maybe you'd say this, Preacher, I've never received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've, I've never trusted Him and Him alone like the people in Thessalonica did. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? I'm just going to pray for you. Nobody will come to you or embarrass you. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, sir. Somebody else? Anybody else? Raise your hand, Preacher, pray for me. All right. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you really mean it, I want you to pray this prayer right now, this morning, right where you are in your seat. Maybe you raised your hand or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you know you need to receive Christ as your Savior. Pray this prayer with me and mean it. Not out loud. The Lord knows what you're thinking. Say, say Dear Lord Jesus. You see, He's listening. He's right here with us. Dear Lord Jesus. I know I have sinned. I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again. And right now, I call on you to come into my heart, come into my life. Forgive my sins and help me to live for you. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me and you really meant it, I want you to raise your hand again so I can pray for you and know you did that. Would you raise your hand all over if you prayed that prayer with me? Yes, God bless you. I see that hand. I'm still looking around. If you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it, anyone else? Thank you. God bless you. Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for delivering us from our sin and from the wrath to come. Thank you for this one who called on you today. We rejoice and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please, if you would. And the words are on the screen. Let's sing together. If you'd like to come for prayer, we invite you to come as we sing.